1: Hello, this is episode 150 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and I'm a bit excited that we've reached 150. I'm excited (laughs) at 147 too, but I love a round number, and this number feels pretty awesome. Uh, Halfway to 200 episodes, and as always, I'm so deeply grateful to all the guests who have come on this show and shared their stories so bravely with us all and been willing to, you know, go to some of their hardest places in their lifetimes and take themselves back there into those m- moments where life felt almost impossible. Uh, I'm so grateful to you all and I love you all so much in a way that may seem fake or false, um, but it's actually just not. I'm really Quite, I say it all the time, but a bit of a wet Labrador. And I just, if I was a dog breed, I would be a wet Labrador, and I would just be bounding around, <laughs> looking really, really joyful at just seeing you and having you in my life. So I, I'm just very true to that. That's my spirit animal. I. Wanted to just sh- do a shout out to Ranjit, my husband. He is the one who edits this podcast. Now, sometimes the sound quality may not be as perfect as normal because either the guests have been in a room, or the microphones will be haven't been available, or the recording tech hasn't worked properly. But overall, it sounds so wonderful because he does such hard work making me sound less bumbly and making the sound quality overall sound so good. So thank you, Ranjit for Without him, honestly, this podcast wouldn't exist because I just would not sit down and do the fiddly edit- editing. And perhaps I didn't, that doesn't need editing, but I really wanted to put out a podcast that was as easy listening as possible and he does a really good job of correcting many, many of my speech I want to say errors, but I mean little blips and bits that I say when I'm, you know, when you're just talking and you're not quite articulating yourself in the most clear, clean, flawless manner. So thank you, Ranjit. You just make me sound so much better and the guests already are always amazing, but you do so much, such great work and I love you and I'm so grateful that you do what you do for this podcast and, yeah, 150 episodes. He's done this for all of us. What a great guy. Uh, so thank you, and thank you all for listening and tuning in and commenting and messaging me. I really, really value each and every one of your messages and your support and your little notes that you send me on Messenger or via my website. I, I love them, so I keep doing that. I really, really like it. It just makes my day, and I'm genuinely serious. It really does make my day. Uh, especially when I wake up to them and they're the first thing I read in the morning. I love that. Uh, Let me know if, you know, an episode's touched your heart or anything at all that you'd like to let me know. And you're in isolation. I'm happy to be your friend. So write to me or message me. I would love to hear from you all. But without further ado, I have to introduce today's guest, Peter Burrell. Peter Burrell has had major heart surgery. He's had type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea and he was also clinically obese and he is here to share his whole food plant-based journey with us. I really hope that you enjoy Peter's episode. I love the way he's so thoughtful and, and frank in his journey and Peter is one of those people I find so inspirational because they make a decision and they just draw a line in the sand and they just are like, those foods are out forever. These foods are the ones I'm having and they just dust their hands off and say goodbye to everything that they used to consider food and they no longer consider it food. And I just find it such a fascinating way of being to be able to do that and inspirational. So Peter is here and I hope you enjoy his episode. Thank you for coming and just chatting with me today. I really enjoyed it and I hope you all enjoy what Peter has to say. And if you'd like to read some more, head to the show notes and you'll find more of this episode in there and details about this episode in there and also some links to some of the things that we covered in the episode. So see you there and bye. Hello, Peter, and welcome to the show.
0: Uh, Hi, Corinne. How are you going?
1: I'm good. I'm good. and I'm really glad to have you here to share your story with us because I just, after speaking to you last week and earlier, I'm really excited for you to share your story with us because it's a little bit, well, every story I think that every guest that's come on this show has an interesting perspective or an interesting angle or an interesting part, interesting parts to their story, but yours really piqued my interest because I do have a few family members who are struggling with, you know, the issues that you've been struggling with. So I'm fascinated to hear and hopefully be able to, well, I don't know if you're aware, but many people are aware that none of our family members want to hear about what we do. (laughs) We talk. Often our family members are reluctant to be informed about the things that we know about diet, <laughs> but I like to know that there's hope, perhaps not for my family members who are living with it currently, but for future people who are listening's family members. So I would love it if you would start at the start of your story, and now we'll just have to confine, your story's massive, so we'll try and confine it to an hour, but if you could start at the start, that would be wonderful.
0: Look, Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just touch on, yeah, there's a lot of family members in, in my family in the same situation. And uh, I'll say this up front, it's it's sad it takes a situation like this to make a change. You know, uh, you, I've ended up in a near-death situation. Um, we've had a family member recently pass away that didn't want to change. And that was the fate. So we pursue. Look, I'll start with my story. You know, grew up like I suppose most people and ate, and we've seen the world like most people do. We we're sort of educated or passed on our, our dietary generational behaviours from our parents um, and what you eat and what you think you, you, you seem to think socially normal, I suppose. Um, I do think our food chain has changed since the 80s, 70s, and 80s, um, come 90s, and on. it's definitely taken another um, step in why we've got health problems. but So, yeah, just very active person as a kid growing up. Did a lot of you know, sport. I raced motorcycles and worked as a, did an apprenticeship as a heavy-duty plant mechanic. Being a mechanic um, on heavy, big machinery is like working in a gym all day. So, very active. And it's, it's sort of like a, a gym you don't have to have a gym if you don't, mate.
1: Yeah, like, what's it called? Functional fitness? Like, isn't that when you are doing, like, lifting tyres and stuff that they get you to do at the gym now? Like, use those big ropes and stuff, but they're trying to get you to do things you naturally do in a, a job like what you have? Yeah,
0: correct. Yeah, I suppose that's why you can put it, yeah. So they've just <laughs> been diesel mechanics doing 12-hour days, but you do it for 12 hours. So you could eat sort of whatever you liked pretty much. You had to because you need a lot of energy, a lot of fuel. And, of course, you'd live a lot of camp food or highway food doing field service. Now, you lived on choc milks and that sometimes as well, and whatever, was at a road stop if you're on a run. But you, you didn't put a lot of weight on. And, yeah, so life went on, and you get to the age of, you, know, you get off the tools and you get a sedentary job instead of an office, an office job. I did take up an exercise disorder to feed my eating disorder at once. Um, I lost a little bit of weight, but that didn't solve the problem or fix it. So exercising your way out of it doesn't help.
1: I like the way you called it an exercise disorder to get out of the food the feed, disorder. The feed my
0: eating disorder.
1: <laughs> the feed your eating disorder. Yeah, it sort of worked, many people it? do this, don't they? And that's I've never heard it coined, termed that way before. But I, I know so many people who I see who are I know who are you know morbidly obese, and I've been one of them. And you, and they're always talking about how they've joined the gym, they've joined the gym, and this is the new thing they're doing, and they're training, and they're doing nothing really to change their Relationship with food or how they eat—they're just really working hard. It's like trying
0: to make the two gym. wrongs make a right, which doesn't work. And I, I, I think, as we know, it's it's ninety-five percent of what you eat—probably ninety percent. Exercise is definitely a big bonus in it, but yeah, it's it, it's really what you eat.
1: You can't outrun a bad diet.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, correct. You can't outrun a 7 tiger.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you. So that over, over-exercising? Were you over-exercising? Oh,
0: not really. I was doing 50Ks a day on a push bike to ride to work, so I used motivation to um, do exercises, transport, and it, just, it took about an hour by bus, but I could do it in three-quarters an hour by a push bike, you know.
1: Mm,
0: okay. Crazy not to go to do that. Yeah, moving on from there, yeah, life changes. That situation changed. started working away. I was doing a lot of FIFO work. Again, as I say, there's several daggers, I suppose. Um, Dr. Joel, Joel, Joel Kahn talks about this, uh, that causes heart disease. And yeah, um, diet is a big player in it, but you combine it with stress, you combine it with lifestyle, you combine it with lack of exercise, and a sedentary job. I did start smoking again. I had given up for 10 years and I have been smoking for about five. So that didn't help the situation at all. So combine that into that and I end up with... Um, six blocked arteries so I had uh, sorry nine blocked arteries six bypasses so it's a a pretty good record to have not not a good record it's I don't know I've met too many people who had six I met someone who had five I don't know if you've met any more but
1: I haven't I haven't met anyone who's had six bypasses
0: yeah so it's a pretty horrific number when you think about it
1: so does that mean that you have to have six separate surgeries or you get the six bypasses done all
0: at once I had it all at once. Um, so it was a, like a full cabbage, I suppose, at the time. Um, I, I can only assume that when they jumped, because they basically ran another artery around the blockages, apparently they redirected um, some of the blood supply off the back of the wall of the chest onto the heart itself and redirected that as obviously probably supply parts of different areas, let alone they take an artery out of your leg. I've got a, a scar that runs from the, the groin right down to the ankle where they utilize artery that's I suppose available for them to utilize.
1: <laughs> I have no idea how they can take something that seems like you need to get your leg to function and put it in your heart like what happens to your leg <laughs> when they take out this thing?
0: Yeah, What I have noticed when I started doing a little jogging and a lot running was um, I'd get a little bit of like like this lactic acid build up in my calf so I guess mm. like, Draining wasn't working or supply was a bit of an issue. It seems to have gone away a recent time, so it must be growing or adapting somehow blood supply in the area.
1: <laughs> Human bodies are fascinating. If you're a doctor and you're listening, can you please write a comment telling me how that works? How can they re- take away something from somewhere else that one would assume is needed that in that other place, and put it somewhere else, and everything still work fine. Like I'm just fascinated. I don't know. Yeah. I'm ignorant.
0: It's the same here. I don't know how they. Yeah, I don't know how they get this splice a little bit of artery together. Um, I
1: know. It's amazing. It's, in, it's amazing. Seal. Yeah, it's incredible. So, you had six. Bypass six bypasses, and then what happened from there? How, so, were you were you significantly overweight then? Is that how that happened? Well, let's step back
0: onto that then. So, yeah, um, I was I was thirty kilos overweight to what I am now. So, I was in the obese range, and I've I've lost thirty kilos since. Just just leading up to that, my symptoms were I was experienced like a stitch. Bit like when you you get a stitch when you walk and you get like a stitch under your ribs. Mm,
1: yeah.
0: And it was happening just a bit more regularly. It was quite happening quite regularly, and like every now and then, like every probably two or three times a week. Um, especially when I was getting my activity up so I was walking to my room after getting off the shift bus from the camp, and I, I noticed a stitch under my ribs, and it just to be like a stitch, and then I'd. I my property head down south, walking up the hill with my wife, and I'd have this, this stitch sensation. I'd say, "Well, I've got a stitch," and I'd say it every now and then to her. And then she goes, "Go see a doctor," and I'd say, "It's just a stitch. You don't go to the doctor for a stitch, you know." Uh, Near fatal mistake number one.
1: Oh my gosh!
0: Not listening to my wife. <laughs> number one. Number two is not going to the doctor. Going back onto the, to the, the my health situation. Um, again, adding all those daggers, I was overweight. I hadn't been exercising. I was eating at a buffet in a mine site where you've got uh, all sorts of condiments you could imagine. And you would just go all, Oh, I don't know which one's good because sometimes it's not, it varies in what's nice to eat. So you put a little bit of everything on your plate, mm. go eat that. So then you end up with a big plate. That's what most people were doing anyway. So I was eating all the wrong foods. And at home, we were having like a – we were eating vegetarian at the time. When I was working away, I wasn't, but we had a lot of oil in our diet. We had a lot of oil, a massive amount of oil. Knowing what I know now, you know, no wonder.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: oils, people go, what's wrong with oil? Because they've been um, educated by TV advertising that they believe it's some sort of wonder cure where in nature it doesn't grow on trees and it's highly processed, um, hydrogenized, unless you know, it it's a bit of olive oil that, you know, if you lived in a Mediterranean um, you're lucky to have a tree also in your in your local surrounds. Uh, most of them would have been brined and eaten as a, like a fresh olive. What fell on the ground was crushed up and a little bit of oil separated from it with a little tiny vase and it sat on the side of a cabinet somewhere and on a special occasion as a celebration food. It was poured into a dish like a, a, a ceremony and everybody dipped a little bit of bread and it went, how amazing that little bit of oil? Not poured in all your salads and food and cooking and soups and what we have today. So
1: it's, it's interesting you mentioned this. The last couple of guests were talking about that there, the difference between being whole, like being whole food plant based with oil or, you know, or vegan and including oil and what even my husband included. But like the last two guests have been talking about how you think that a little bit of oil, we're so conditioned, like you say, to think that it's a health-promoting food and that it's fine, we need these good fats and the olive oils, this health food from the gods um, that we should consume and that both of them, it was all they had, and and my husband included, it was all they had left to lose. They'd already been gone vegan. They'd already gone whole food plant-based. They'd been holding on to this oil and... Once they let finally let go of the oil, you know but the chronic pain that one woman um Jackie was living in just went away and she'd had chronic pain for years and was suicidal and another woman just started to just lose her weight and overcome the diabetes and my husband just had allergies and a bit of weight to lose, but needless to say, he lost it just from the oil alone it wasn't you know it was they were all hanging the oil. All their issues were hanging around because that while they were hanging on to the oil.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you're right. And I think it's the um that the oil. It, it's like a lot of these things. You can understand it—the high sugar, the high fructose, the um, um this this highly sweetened um, things. And I'll, I'll talk about the food journey in a minute because it's all part of this. And the oils, it's um, while we're naturally attracted to that, it's because it's high caloric values. Our bodies naturally predisposed to saying you know, that high's high nutrient calories, get hold of that, because that's nice, it tastes nice, it, 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 we have our taste senses based around that rarity, which is what they are in natural food diet, but when you're eating in abundance and a raw form of such volumes, of course that's when you're having the bad problems, and when you understand that perspective, it's yeah, okay, I get it, um, so our body is saying, it's going through that change in your body, so dropping all that and I suppose the food journey was when we, a bit like going through the desert with a horse of no name. Well, the horse was a donkey and it was tasteless and it lost taste for about two or three weeks. But when taste came back, the taste food tasted different and a lot more, I could taste flavours a lot more as well, uh, different flavours.
1: Was this when you went plant-based?
0: Correct.
1: You lost taste for the first three weeks? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a struggle to go from high-intense, Calorie calorie intense foods to low calorie foods like it's just such a difference. It's night and day difference between salty salty burrito <laughs> with cheese and meat and fat and bread to then having a baked potato, oil free baked potato with some black beans. So when did you when how did you find whole food plant based eating?
0: Okay, let's go back to the probably the experience in hospital because that's where it started. So. Just on that journey, I did go see a doctor, and he said I wanted to do a heart test. And I went and did the heart test, and within not long in, into the stress test, they were off the machine. I was feeling feeling um, sensations or cramping. I went home the next morning. I got a phone call. With the cardiologist. The cardiologist calls me and goes, um, "I've been trying to call you all night. Um, been trying. To, I couldn't find your number. I've booked you hospital." Uh, I'm booking your hospital bed but I'll ring you back which one, when I've got you a place to go. I don't drive a car basically or everything will all bar calling an ambulance if you know what I mean and uh, he called me back not long after and said where I was going to go so I turned up there, went to the hospital basically went straight into surgery within the next day or so no problems with the machine and uh, woke up in the hospital after the operation with the news so a couple of days in the intensive care or a day or how long they have you in there, for was a little bit of blurred blurred period for me, I must must admit. And with a day or two sitting in the in the in the hospital, I just didn't feel like eating any cheese or I didn't. The hospital food's not the best, as you all know. I was as, asking for the vegetarian options, and even then, just the white macaroni cheese type stuff, I just couldn't eat it, you know. So I did have my um, my son and my wife smuggling in food. Uh, from health freak down the road.
1: That's really interesting because you d- you used to like all that food, so straight away you just didn't naturally I, just, I just weren't drawn
0: to it. No, correct. But but in in that time, my wife um, Jen went down to a bookstore to buy a book while I was sitting in in hospital. And while she was there, she found this book called um, "Reverse and Prevent Heart Disease."
1: Doctor Colbel Esselstyn. Wow. With that
0: book, she she brought it back and um, she started reading it to me and. Uh, I wasn't in a real good state to read. You no, know, concentration was pretty hazy. She got partway through it. I said, well, you know, all these advocating is just change the way you eat. I said, let's just give it a go. What, what have I got to lose? Well, I nearly lost my life. So, <laughs> you know, you can't get much lower than that point, to be honest with you. I'll give it a go. Give it a red-hot go. So we, we went pure Esselstyn. We went right down. And, and the hardest thing is, is that when we talk about the food journey, that's probably a good point to go from into that into that place. Besides, I started walking a lot. As soon as I, they like you to get up and start moving straight away after an operation, well, whatever they said, I doubled it. So I did a lot of walking. So I did what I call walking back to health and the food journey. So the, the food journey was um, discovering what you can eat. So all of a sudden you've taken all the food out of your house, all the food you've known before. You've got to say to yourself, I know nothing on food I've to re-educate myself. All my taught beliefs or biases has got to go. So we worked out that you can't eat anything out of a packet, a container, or a tin, okay, because it's all hidden um, products in there, all your, you know, you're boosting oils and sweeteners and bad stuff. So you can't process it with your hands or your teeth, don't eat it. So we went on that approach. And that way there's no added oils because everyone's got oil added to it. Every single thing you look at has got added oils.
1: I think one thing I just want to mention here for anyone listening, because this is a really important point, and I have so many people writing to me about milks and that they've just discovered that there's oil in their soy milk or their almond milk or whatever. Read your labels. As as Peter's saying, read your labels because often there'll be added sneaky oils and sugars and salts in things that you just wouldn't believe that there will be sugars, oils and salts in. So read your labels and if you can avoid things with labels altogether, then even better. Yeah,
0: that's right. The corn starches and the corn stuff they put in there, which is you know, a high sugar type concentrate anyway. So all your food chains is dosed with the stuff. that um, I spoke to a food scientist about that one time, I won't talk about that now, but you know, how corrupt the, the food chain is in the way they try and value add to the food or take out the, the, to make it more flavorful than somebody else's product. So you know, they're, they're focused on sugar and fats and oils, so that's how we've been captured. But, okay, going back on our diet. So we worked out you, you, you just couldn't trust anything with a pack or a tin. So what are we going to eat now? Um, and we really hadn't found the, the good dietary books at the stage. We're going alone, seriously going alone. So we, we worked out a lot of Indian-style uh, dishes, a lot of like an Aradivic dish, and um, it became exciting because it was all of a sudden, man, was all these new foods, we can sort of start to eat new dishes. And we started, and I'm, I'm blessed, my wife did a lot of the research on this, and she found Dr Esselstein, and she found uh, Neil Bernard on, on, online and that sort of stuff, doing the research. So while I'm in hospital, between she coming and visiting me and doing all the research, she's doing all this research at home, and what we could eat. So getting out of hospital and then going home after having food sort of smuggled in. Um, yeah, we spend that time of, oh, this is out, this is in, this is out. Oh, we can't eat that. Oh, that, that's gone. Um, I've lost all flavours in my food because I've just taken out the super flavour enhancing, which robs the natural food taste of food anyway. To the point of if someone puts a pinch of salt in the food now or a little bit of oil—it's like who poured the sample in my mouth—and it just makes me fucking taste it. So, so prevalent, if you know what I mean? I mean, a small drop.
1: I, absolutely, I, I really don't like foods with oils in them anymore. And I never thought that would be the case. Now I just feel the grease in my tongue and on the roof of my mouth, and I just—I
0: oh, I don't know how I didn't it's notice not it great. before. Because
1: mm, we just slowly, it's like the the frog in the pot that doesn't know it's being boiled. yeah, that? yeah and
0: that's that's a good analogy for it, which is true, and the sugar as well. So you've you, you got to allow your body to adjust in the the taste sensation change, I, I guess. That and, you know, the the control of your portion sizes, it's another part of it and in your activity and your exercise.
1: How did your wife go making the change as well? Was it a struggle for her or was it just easy because she – just loved you and wanted to go along for the ride. I
0: guess it's all part of that. Jen's very apt to change and, and try new things, so I was blessed. And she was she, already vegan at that stage.
1: Oh, so, so she went vegan before Dr. Esselstyn, or before? Oh, really? Yeah. I was the one
0: who, fatal mistake number three, didn't listen to her Never that <laughs> And I was just busy <laughs> in my own life. I was working away, and I, you know, running. A busy work life and home life and the property down south and stuff like that. Sound like a pile of excuses, but I've got other things in my mind to worry about. And it wasn't on social media, I wasn't yeah, yeah. seeing all the other stuff. It's just like,
1: mm. it's just
0: dealing mm. with life, you know.
1: So, had she been vegan for a while before you had your yeah, heart attack? Yeah,
0: a few years, yeah. She's been vegan for a few years and vegetarian a long time before that.
1: Oh, okay. So, it wouldn't have been as much of a big, big change for her, but it would have been massive. Yeah, correct, for you. yeah. But you had the added incentive of having a I, I don't like this way of t- terming it, but it just, t- just it just gets to the point, but I, I always I have, you know I had multiple sclerosis, and for me, I wish that I didn't have to lose all feeling in my legs and my lower half of my waist <laughs> before I made the switch to a plant-based diet. But I had that gun to my head that said, you know, do you really want to not be able to walk and not be able to feel yourself go to the bathroom and have to have someone care for you with your personal hygiene forever because you can't feel anything? That gun to your head, I, you know, at the start you mentioned it, and it is something that in hindsight we all wish we didn't have to wait for that That time bomb to go off that says now you have no choice live or die
0: again it's a shame it takes this to make a change
1: yeah it's such a such a shame
0: if there's any message we can say to anybody um the motivation is a bit like another saying i said to me you change it you change you live this way you eat a whole food plant-based diet for instance what you don't see is all the health problems later on in life that's hard to measure because you haven't experienced them yet because you don't get them
1: Absolutely, and it's a tricky thing when you're in your twenties and you feel like you're immortal. It's really hard for someone to say, "Oh, you know, these foods are you know peanut allergies are really obvious. You put the peanut in your mouth, and you have the anaphylactic, instantaneous. You're gonna die. You know, you'll die without the 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 injection insulin. Is it what is it? What is it? Not insulin. It's um, Uh, um, EpiPen. uh, EpiPen. Um adrenaline yeah so it 's very instantaneous that when you 're talking about food allergies that what's happened, what the results of our food choices is, is that it's like a grudge or slow burn you know it's rather than being like peanuts where you just bang and you gets you, I wish that it was like that so people just wouldn't touch the stuff but for us, it's like just slowly giving us chronic disease and ill health and obesity. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's easier 30, to ignore. 50
0: years of damage, accumulation of damage mm. of multiple factors causing mm. uh, an epic event, mm. Uh, mm.
1: or epic mm, event, I mm, suppose
0: we want to call it. But.
1: Yeah, and our bodies tell us little signposts, but we just ignore them and ignore them and ignore them along the way. And it's I hope that we, we the education begins to come in, that we start educating children. Like, children earlier and I think that people more like yourself and all these stories people on on the show you know we they're the ones that will start educating the children about how does this food feel in your body do you notice the oil in your mouth Do you notice how the salt like my sons had this really salty meal the other day and they they were all like that made me so thirsty mom I shouldn't have that it was just so salty and I said it's really important for you to notice that that you know that, that is too salty and we just won't ever get that again because it was a treat takeaway thing to support local business in our area. we got this vegan food, but it was just full of salt and oil and it just made all of us feel disgusting and we really noticed it because we don't eat like
0: that. No, that's that. right. And look, now because we don't eat into packets of tins or containers and there's – um, like say you go to vegan restaurants and they're all coated with the same oils and that sort of stuff um, – there's nowhere we can really eat. It's very a struggle when you go somewhere and go. Oh, we don't want any oil in our food, and they're just like horrified. It's like even worse than saying we don't want any meat or dairy in our food these days.
1: <laughs> it is. Yeah, it it's, really it's is. a
0: new no 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 go zone. You can't say that. So there's not many places we can go and eat. We we have found uh, fast food outlets, and they're everywhere for, in this diet. It's called a grocery. So you just go in there and get some. In the in the there's dozens of them. It's easy easy solution. <laughs> But anyway, just in case everybody wanted, you wanted to go for a takeaway.
1: <laughs> what would be if what would be food that you like now that you are getting to like now?
0: It, it it changes in season, so in summers Buddha bowls, we eat a lot of Buddha bowls, and that's a whole variety and mix mix of foods. Getting really into um, root vegetables around, especially uh, wintertime, and we still have them in summer, so we grow our own. We're growing a lot of our own. So, anything crumbs out of the ground, but uh, sweet potatoes, and there's different types, not just the orange one, but the Hawaiian sweet potato that Okinawans oh, eat. Okinawans
1: Okinawan one is my favourite. Oh. It is, it, and it's a nice tasting
0: sort of sort of potato, but it's not, if you know what I mean. Nice checks you've
1: Yeah, it's like cake.
0: It is, actually, yeah. You could say that's like cake. And you know, you can understand why the three quarters of their diet is actually just that potato. That's all they ate, you know, which is. I think if you looked at the way we evolved, we, we did eat a lot of root vegetables. They don't run away. They store very easily. They're everywhere. It's a no-brainer.
1: It's true. So now you're eating more warmer stuff as it's winter and more root vegetables. Yeah, and
0: a lot of legumes and beans and um, lentils and chickpeas and dals and stuff like that. So you got all those herbs and spices and all that wonderful stuff that you can add to all that type of food. Um, and a you know, with chilli flake and... Things like that. We, we make a mustard sauce with a couple of dates. That's probably the sweetest thing we have. But it's a tiny drizzle that goes over some of the salads and that sort of thing, which uh, call it savoury yeast. It's a bit of a, a little flat topping on, on some, something. So with all that myriad of different dishes that you can have, you, know, you can have them as a stew or you can have them as a, a doll, but you have it on potatoes, you know. We have a little bit of basmati rice. The only rice we eat is basmati for obvious reasons. Basmati, brown basmati, mind you. And breakfast basically is um, most days, quinoa, uh, buckwheat, a lot of buckwheat, uh, millet, amaranth, a bit of ground, tablespoon of ground flaxseed, which is freshly ground. Sometimes some goji berries on it just because of the nutrient value, but just any fruit and season it goes on top, um, and a banana. Um, and that rounds up, you know. It, that meal itself provides me with all my essential amino acids for the day. Yeah.
1: Do you have them like a porridge or like a muesli cereal? Oh, like a porridge.
0: Just boil it up.
1: Oh, yum. Do you make it like uh, in like a slow cooker
0: or? on oh, a stove.
1: I'm oh, just on a stove.
0: Yeah. Oh, when I'm On work days, I'll do a batch for a week and just boil some hot water. So I don't have any more milks anymore of any sort. No matter what, i have just moved on. Don't need it. Just Why? What's the purpose? Because it's white you need something white liquid in there? Is it the fat? Because I need the fat. I don't want, that, don't want that taste anymore. So I just sort of just put hot water with it and the banana and the taste of the food is enough for me. I'll, I'll enjoy it. My, my, my taste has changed. So
1: Yes. I still have plant milk, but I, I'm wanting to get to your, your state of water only, I think, for me as I – journey on this journey but i'm not there yet but i think it's really important because why why is it that we think we need to have white stuff on it i think because it, it is the fat ultimately because you want that creamier kind of consistency yeah, and that's
0: what you've always done mm. i think in in, in, in scotland the difference between scotland and british porridge is one has it with milk and one has it with water oh really the scots have it with water and the british have it with um milk as i understand
1: so how has things changed for you overall since you've made this switch how long ago and how long ago was the it, it did it did, did you begin this journey
0: so jan january 2017 was a uh, the date when it happened I, i'd just like to add that you know okay they've, I've, they've done some bypasses you could keep doing what you're doing but the problem is is those blockages aren't just in your arteries your heart they're in everywhere in your body un, i was undiagnosed diabetic as well i didn't mention that before the amazing thing oh, there's two things here. Well, I was going to start to say, well, I'll go on the diabetes for a moment. It was how quickly the change happened. I mean, how quickly the body adapts, adapts to change the diet and the diet effect. So within two weeks, my blood numbers normalized and changing my diet this way. I mean, I was strict Esselstyn. I, I, I take a leaf out of his book, and I actually got to speak to the guy. He's amazing. But you've got to be like a, a reformed alcoholic. There's a line in the sand you can't stand over. So there's no like, oh, let's have a little bit. I'll try – I'll just have one piece every now and then. it be okay. Before, you know, you, you're having it twice a week and then you're having it every couple of days and then you're back on the journey of every day again on the bad habit of having all of your food, for instance, or eating an uh, animal product or eating the, the food you shouldn't be eating. So it's like sobriety for, for an alcoholic, changing your diet. So it stayed very true to the course on what he said and, and what, it, what you want, he, he wants you to do of leafy drinks. Um, so the body started changing pretty quickly. Within two weeks, my blood numbers normalized, and three months, when my long-term 1-HC test come back, I was no longer a diabetic. I'd cured myself. My doctor was like, oh, my God, how did you achieve this? You know, I was like, you, you're, you're no longer a diabetic. So I went from insulin. Within a, a month, I was on uh, metformin, and then re- achieved that. Um, result in three months of the official long term test.
1: Wow.
0: So that's not bad regeneration for a body. And I think when you understand the diabetes principle of the intramycellular lipids and the, the the little fat particles blocking up the cells causing insulin insulin resistance. And I'm not allowing the body to burn up the glucose and the glucose being a symptom of the problem. The problem is that the fat particles blocking you up. It will make sense. Adapting your change, staying through the course, you know, the three-month journey um, with the food change, adding a bit of exercise to it, morph the whole lifestyle change, I suppose, uh, mindset and narrative. So going back on the other question, what was that before <laughs> you yeah, asked? I sort of thought it was going to have two points.
1: <laughs> well, you're kind of answering it because you're answering that. Uh, the question was how have things changed? And you just said that, you know, you also had – type 2 diabetes, so you were taking insulin for it, but you weren't formally diagnosed, is that right? Well, I was
0: diagnosed in hospital, second day in,
1: oh, you were before diagnosed I went into surgery, in which I, I didn't know. So you started taking insulin when you, left the ho- when you were in yes, hospital? Yes, and
0: correct, and when I got out of hospital, I was on, on, on insulin, that's in, insulin at the, that point.
1: And so then three months later, you were cured?
0: Yes, I reversed. By those markers, I reversed it, and have stayed on that course ever since. And my C protein was... Um, I don't know where that test came back, but I've I ended down at, down now at zero, uh,
1: 0.13. So what was this for, sorry?
0: Reactive C protein, so inflammation on in the body. The, the, the sad thing is I don't have a lot of markers before the event, which are really, really good to have, but by numbers of what's considered to be normal, it's it's quite dramatic. You know I mean?
1: You're doing amazing now.
0: Uh, so what I was going to say was how, how did I feel? Because I could take up um, glucose again. I got a lot of energy back because you feel very lethargic before that, and I had sleep apnea as well. So six, or eight cups of coffee a day doesn't cure sleep apnea, even though I tried. The energy return because your, I was my body could soak up the glucose because I was eating complex carbohydrates, is what you should be eating. The slow um, release of energy of uh, glucose in the bloodstream is manageable, and your body can then respond to that, and you can you got energy back before you're feeling you're blocked up and you feel lethargic, and compounding problem of all those other health issues it causes. So the body starts to, re- by i it, starts to right itself and starts working the way it should do. So I'm losing weight. I'm getting my energy back. I'm feeling great. I feel great now. I feel like I got like 20 or 30 years younger than what I was because of the energy output and things I can do now. So I started cycling more and Getting back in a also I could run and not be tired, and and it was easy. I was like, Oh my god, this is actually pleasurable, you know. So, age of over 50, I'm taking up jogging and running, and I've not done huge Ks, but you know, up to 8K sort of runs to average around a 4K run.
1: That's awesome. I think 8Ks are still pretty great. I still only just potter around doing five or something. I I do the odd 10 when I've got time, but I just know I can fit in five, so I just do a five. But eight's really good, I'd still be pretty chuffed if i'd just had major heart surgery and was running that that was about a
0: year or so later so but yeah the walking back to health journey was part of that was where we started i'd I'd walk as far as i could recommend steps and then i got home i'd walk down towards the end of the street come back and have to have a sleep next day i'd walk down the end of the street and do another 100 meters and come back and go to sleep it was i felt tired at that point um but after a while it one kilometre, come two kilometres, become five kilometres. We're doing thirty k walks. Um, meanwhile, we just go for walks, discover our neighbourhood that we never walked in or we drove through. Um, we've got some hills at the back of our, our place in Perth, so we'd walk up through the hills and do hill walks, and it just expanded our, our experience and life, got our life back, I suppose.
1: Oh, it's just incredible. So you had. Major heart surgery, which was what three years ago?
0: will uh, be three and a half now, I suppose. Yeah,
1: three and a half years ago, major heart surgery. You had sleep apnea. You were clinically obese. You had type two diabetes, and now that's all reversed.
0: Correct. That most of that reversed. Just trying to remember. We did a sleep test. I think it was twelve months later, and my sleep apnea was considered. Be a structure. If there's anything there, it was very minor. I got the test results somewhere, but structural. Um, but yeah, because all the fat and that around the throat was gone. Of course, it's not just it's inside your body, but there's a bit of flap of skin at the back of the throat that closes off the airways that causes the problem. Um, that that's gone. So of course, body can start to breathe again like it's meant to. So it's a cleanse. Um, the the other part of it too, when I was, I was going on before, and it's part of that is would talk about diabetes and why, why what's worthwhile change because not just your heart has those blockages but every part of your body has them as well the small the lower extremities has them as well That's why diabetes lose their circulation and your toes chopped off but your brain your liver, your pancreas your lungs all that have those damaged arteries as well the problem is those can function partly and you' still survive okay it'd be a diminished state and maybe having problems, but your heart stops. That's the end of it. And so that's why they have to respond to that, you know?
1: Yeah. It's so interesting to me because the heart, in my very basic awareness of human physiology, the heart arteries look so, well, the arteries, I I guess I'm thinking of the aorta, aren't I? I keep thinking of those tubes being the ones that are blocked, and you keep. I keep thinking, oh, they're so massive. How are the ones, the little, the veins in your legs and your, you know, our arms and fingers still functioning when we have those major cardiac episodes? Because if the the heart veins always to me seemed so much bigger, heart veins, arteries aorta so much bigger but um i don't really know enough i just feel like you would think you would notice real significant changes in your function in other areas before the heart the heart attacks happen but that's just not the case all the time um well
0: i was getting cramps in in my calf especially when i was driving down south and i think that's because of blood circulation and remember we're talking it's like a tree where you've got a trunk and you've got the the major branches and you get your minor limbs or limbs and smaller branches and goes out to the leaves. Um, no difference to blood circulation through the body. For those little tiny ones will block up and have obviously problems and stem back, but they'll get some blood supply through other, other ones providing. And the body, I think, functions, finds a way around a lot of those minor, minor things at times as best it can. This is when you get a big one closed, bang all those minor ones can't share amongst themselves or get supply from slightly from somewhere else, if you know what I mean. Because I asked about back in my wall of the wall with chest, I said, how am I going to go with that? And he goes, oh, they'll, it'll, if they'll find a way of getting blood supply from other other supply points. That's you know?
1: so fascinating. That's so fascinating. If you're a doctor and listening, please Write and explain how this works to me in the comment section.
0: Yeah, and look, and that's my understanding. I'm not a doctor,
1: but yeah, no, no. But it, I, I, I've heard doctors say like that their body kind of finds a way to to work when another area is not functioning. So it's just really, really interesting. So now your life's completely transformed. I was just wondering before I let you go, what would be your three biggest kind of tips and or tools to for people who are wanting to make the switch for themselves
0: i'm a big big believer in the three rule something i made up myself i don't know it exists anywhere else but first three three seconds to sort of come to a conclusion first three minutes to come to terms to it first three days to give it a really good go it's the first three days of change of keeping your mindset on on on, on making a change then the three weeks point of where you start to, you, you sort of got there, if you know what I mean. You, would, you, you can get to three weeks, then you get to three months. And I could say to anybody, just if you want to give this a go, do this for three months and see what happens to yourself. It's three months out of your whole life. And, and, then, the first, and then the next three years. Yeah. I, I, I think for anybody, for three months out of your life, there's not much to ask for anything. See the difference.
1: It's so true. So your first. Tip is the three rule, or is that all three okay, tips? Okay, that's probably <laughs> <'Cause it's laughs> the, the first, three rule. Yeah,
0: a, bit of a hard one, so yeah. Um, I think try the three rule.
1: Yeah, and number two.
0: There's no moderation. I have. I'll just have one, or I'll try one again, or I'll have a, a, a another cupcake, or I'll have another whatever it is advice. It's
1: definitely a myth. I, I, I am the proof of the myth, everyone. If you want if you want proof that moderation doesn't exist, you have no you don't have to look any further than me. Yeah, I think we all <laughs> know
0: that. I think um it's food is an addiction no matter what it is. It's a bit like alcohol, it's a bit like smoking, it's no different. It's 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 a powerful driver in our body.
1: Yeah, definitely high calorie foods, certainly. No one's really addicted to broccoli, but people definitely get addicted to salt oil, sugar, refined grains and Meat, eggs, and yeah, dairy. correct,
0: which is all high fat and sugar.
1: That's a really good number two. Number three, bring it home strong, Peter. You've done really good top first two. I'm, I'm good. One. Oh,
0: okay, number three, uh, listen to your wife.
1: <laughs> good lesson for you, listen to your I wife. that's number okay. three
0: one, but um, it's definitely up there. I think number three would be being a bloke. We don't talk about our health very much because we're invincible. And we've got to actually, from for, for a male perspective, and a lot of ladies are the same too. We are not invincible and it, it's, it's, your partner can pick up things you won't see in yourself. Now, I was too busy being a machine, um, working, working a lot on, just going or working away, things like that activity. I, I, I'm busy. I'm too busy to worry about anything else, but not myself. So you neglect yourself. Don't neglect yourself.
1: Don't neglect yourself. That's number three. Number three, three.
0: yeah. We're, we're the only home you have. Seen, and oh, this is a saying it gets around. Um, so you really need to look after yourself. There's no You can't go anywhere, anywhere else but yourself. There's no other home. To
1: that is true. I remember years ago I was traveling. I was wolfing and doing all these things. And I was miserable and unhealthy in every next stop. And I said to one of my friends on the phone once, I'm like, every – place I go is beautiful but I always just feel miserable and I'm still so unhappy in so many ways and he goes he said it's a saying that he didn't make up but he just said "Eh, um wherever you go there you are
0: (laughs) And, um, and that's right who am I you are who you think you are Yeah.
1: And I I, I laughed because I was like, you're right, you know, I'm taking me and I'm sick and unhappy and obese. I'm taking me to all these great places, but I'm still sick and unhappy and obese just in all these places.
0: Yeah, who are you running away from?
1: (laughs) Self? Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: (laughs) And we all do that too. I think it's an important thing to remember. And food and diet the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Peter, for agreeing to come and chat with me on the show. Your story is definitely one can I ask one last thing? What was the recommendations for you regarding your heart if you didn't make the change and reverse your heart disease? Like, what what was was it just lots of medications forever now, or what was going to be the situation for you if you hadn't? Yeah, there wasn't
0: really anything to be honest with you. it. Was we've had your bypass. You need you need, you need to take this diabetic medication and um, take these tablets, the metformin, and your heart um, blood thing. Medication and that's it. That's your lot.
1: So like a blood thinning medication and a diabetic medication yeah. forever.
0: There wasn't really. There was, but they they, they they did send you on like a, a diabetes education. Um, I never went on that because we were on this other path and I was curing it. And, and I hate to say it, the people I talk to about that are horrified that I eat carbohydrates and that's all I eat. I'm a carbivore on starchy food and that blows their mind. It's just all wrong to them. you have got to be eating fatty foods and all this stuff and wonder why they can't.
1: Fix the problem, but anyway, <laughs> I I'm a carbivore too. It's the best. It's, it's the best.
0: Starts carbivore.
1: carbivore. Okay, thank you so much, Peter. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming on the show. I love chatting with you. Peter lives in a tiny house and he's really into permaculture, so I'm very excited just to make Peter my new best friend (laughs) so that he can give me lots and lots of permaculture gardening tips. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you got a lot out of Peter's story. I hope that you're doing okay wherever you are. We're on week three of our stage three lockdown. And yeah, I look forward to speaking to you all next week, but I hope that you're all okay. And if you're not, I hope that you're seeking the support that you need. Take care out there. Bye